0: So you think it's okay if we get a little excited about what God is doing in other places? Isn't that great? Um, I think it's amazing, and I think just so privileged and blessed we are uh, to get to participate and and watch what God is doing and have even a small role in a great thing is such a blessing, isn't it? Okay, so I want to talk this morning about what Jesus was praying in the hour of His arrest. Right before he was arrested, what was he praying like? What was on his heart? What was on his mind? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So um, we're going to pray and ask God to let us see what was on his heart and that the result would be that we would love him more deeply, knowing what he was thinking about right as he was going to the cross should stir us to unbelievable sense of being loved And our purpose, if that was his purpose, was to go to the cross, and this is what he was thinking about, if these things I'm going to talk about is what was on his heart before he went to the cross, I thought today, rather than doing a typical Palm Sunday sermon, where I talk about the triumphal injury, which is wonderful and wonderfully appropriate, but I thought, what if if we set our heart upon the thing Jesus was praying about all that week, and get a little bit of a, a bigger picture, rather than the sundry Sunday, in, uh, entry into, the, um, into Jerusalem and this final week, Passion Week, Holy Week, what if, we, what if we delve into the prayer closet with Jesus and listen, listen in on what Jesus, the Father and the Son and the Spirit were talking about in this great hour. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we would just be utterly amazed that you had two primary things upon your heart and one was your own glory and the other was our salvation. And help us to see how those things tie together as to why the world exists. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the time of Jesus' arrest, He was praying for us. What person who is about to face the greatest suffering in their entire life, even the greatest suffering ever known to man, would be using those last hours to pray for other people? God's capacity to love is incomparably displayed in the hours before the betrayal of Jesus, which would set in motion the trial and condemnation of Jesus to be crucified and the discovery that the father and son And spirit, we're having a conversation intermingled with the glory of the Lamb of God and the future glory and joy of all believers. We must delve into two things, the timing of his prayer and the focus of his prayer. Let's look at the timing of his prayer. Jesus knew exactly what time it was. He prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He was fully aware of his surroundings and his mission and what was next in the divine appointment book. In fact, Jesus was the only one who actually knew what time it was. No one else really understood the significance of what was happening. But Jesus knew exactly what time it was. It it was Passion Week. It was the week that He would offer Himself as the Lamb of God who came to save the lost. It was the week that His entire life had been moving towards. Three times He had told His disciples He was going to Jerusalem to be arrested. An example, Mark 18, 31. We are going up to Jerusalem. Like we, meaning him and his disciples, they didn't really understand, but he was telling them what was happening. We, all of us, are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of God by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day he will arise. Jesus knew what time it was. He knew exactly what was going on. It was the last thing Jesus did prior to his surrender to the crucifixion. Did you realize that? This is the last thing Jesus did. This is what Jesus was doing, knowing that he was just about to be handed over to officials to be arrested. It was the last thing Jesus did prior to his surrender to the crucifixion. He lifted his eyes to heaven and prayed, it says. His entire life was a prayer, was full of prayer. He prayed every day. He prayed before every mission. He prayed and fasted 40 days to be, begin His ministry. He prayed before selecting the 12 disciples. He prayed in the height of His busyness. He prayed for divine strength and for abiding fellowship. Could He do any less at his, as He spent His final hours as a free man than pray? Jesus always was praying. Matthew 26, 30, Then Jesus went with Him to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He's saying, sit here while I do what I always do. But in this biggest moment for which I've come, I'm going to be doing what I always do. And that's praying. I need to be in fellowship with the Father as we carry out the divine will. So... He said, sit here while I pray. And he even told Peter, James, and John, making it very clear that he understood the time. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. He said that. He prayed and there he proceeded to ask God to remove this awful cup of suffering As his sweat became like great drops of blood, but knowing such a thing was not possible, he said, Lord, remove the cup, but he knew full well the cup could not be removed. He couldn't do the will of the Father if he didn't drink the cup. He just knew the intensity of what he was about to face and therefore he prayed, remove the cup. Displaying his humanity, he faced the cross in his fullness of his humanity and yet he also prayed, Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. He knew exactly what time it was. He knew it was time to surrender to the crucifixion. So it was the first thing, the last thing Jesus did as he moved toward this final stage. But it was also the first thing he did entering into the final stage. It was the first thing Jesus did in His surrender to the crucifixion. In the moment of His commitment to go forward, He was praying. He was praying as the last act of obedience as a free man. And He was praying as His first act of obedience to this course of action as Judas the traitor was in that moment marching into His prayer, into Jesus' prayer chamber to arrest and bind Him. Jesus prayed up to and into the arrest. Betrayal and sacrifice. Such was his life as the high priest of God who moved towards the altar of sacrifice while offering the constant incense of prayer. It's it's amazing. Knowing the divine hour, walking in perfect, the perfect kairos or the perfect timing of the heavenly clock... Jesus walked in prayer with every step being in communion with the Father and by the Spirit. And so let us learn here the importance of prayer. Let us pray into and through what God has appointed for our lives and for our obedience to His will. So profoundly different is our journey and our trials when we keep in step with the Spirit. Would you not agree? So... Let us look now, we've considered the timing of Jesus' prayer. Let's consider the focus of His prayer. We know the timing was the divine moment. But what was the focus of His prayer? And there's really two things I want to uh, suggest are the focus of His prayer. And one was Himself and the other was you. The first was His own glory. His focus is first upon the glory of God. In verse 1, He says, Father... The hour has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. The primary intent of God in all that he does is his own glory. And Jesus says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In other words, that God may be glorified. Verse 5, and now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And verse 10, "All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. All things exist for the glory of God. The universe and all of creation exist to glorify God." Listen to Romans 11:36, "For from Him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever." Amen." you can be sure that no one is more focused upon the glory of God than our glorious God. No matter what is transpiring in this world, no matter how things may look in any given moment, even when Jesus was about to be unjustly arrested and wrongly crucified, it was ultimately for the glory of God. So what was happening in that moment? The glory of God. What is happening in our world today? The glory of God. We can't always see it. But that's precisely what's happening. Everything is moving toward the greater glory of God. No matter what. Even when Jesus was about to be wrongly, unjustly arrested and wrongly crucified, it was for the glory of God. So what is God up to every hour of every day? He is about the holy business of His glory. In the end, in all things, He will be glorified. There is not one single thing that will not eventually, finally, and eternally reflect His majesty and goodness and justice and power and honor. Just wait and see. Believe it. Trust it. When our resurrected and reigning king returns, that great rebellion will cease and the Lion of Judah will roar and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. His focus was upon Himself and His glory. And His focus was upon you, upon the joy of all believers. The hour has arrived in order that Jesus might give eternal life to all whom the Father has given Him. That's what He's praying for. To give eternal life to all whom the Father has given Him. He prays for our salvation and eternal life. And fellowship with God. Jesus was dying to give us fellowship with God. And therefore he was praying to that end. Verse 3 says, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This was God's will. That we would know him. He would, we would have eternal life that we would know God. That we would be in communion and in fellowship with God. Jesus' heart and prayer is that sinners might be granted eternal life and that we might know and experience God both now and forever. This is what is upon the heart of God. This is what makes the world turn. This is what causes all the things that are at work and at play in the universe. Is that God might be glorified by saving and inviting people into his joy. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they received them and have come to know them in truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me. For they were yours. He is praying for believers. He is praying for those he knows will believe. He is so excited about the future that they will have together. He is so determined for that future that he's willing to go through the cross to attain that future. He is willing to suffer in order that they might enter, that we might enter safely through the gates and into the city of God. Jesus wants you to be saved. Jesus wants you to have eternal life. Jesus wants you to know God, to know the Father who gave His only Son for you, to know the Son who suffered and died for you, to know the Spirit who wants to dwell in you and with you. What a glorious invitation is so loudly communicated in this prayer of Jesus. This is what Jesus had on His mind as He prayed in the garden. You are what Jesus had on His mind as He moved out of the garden and towards the hill of crucifixion. And He prays for our unity. He prays for our joy and salvation, but He prays for our unity. Holy Father, keep them in Your name, which You have given Me, that they may be one even as we are. Jesus is not only praying that we will be unified with one another, But that we will be unified in and around and through the unity experience shared by the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity is in perfect unity. And he says we want them to enter into that kind of joy with us in unity. If the more that we focus upon God and His goodness, the closer we are able to draw together in one another. The more we enter into the goodness of God and the closer we get to God, then the closer we are going to be in our communion with one another. We are being invited into the fellowship of God. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their work. But they will all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. They may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they might be even one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world might know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Jesus wants us to experience the kind of love that the three members of the Trinity have for one another. He's like, I want you to be loved in a measure that defies comparison. Churches are often sadly divided. The national witness of Christianity is often anything but unity. But true unity does not mean dumbing down our convictions so that we join hands with everyone who poses as a Christian, but is based upon a mutual love for Christ that reflects true and determined running after Christ, albeit imperfectly, an unwavering commitment to practice His teaching and submission to His authority. Jesus wants a unified family, that clearly recognizes His headship and authority. Jesus was about to go to the cross and die in order to make it possible for all who believe in Him to join and serve in His army and to march under His banner. Our true brothers and sisters are all those, regardless of temporal affiliations, who love and bow before the Lord of hosts and recognize the throne of God and worship Father, Son, and Spirit and Jesus was willing to die for this unity. He prays for our joy to be intertwined with the joy of God. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So God is in favor of our happiness. Now, not the way some people think. Some people think that our happiness is higher, the highest goal. But our happiness that God is in favor of is an eternal happiness. And eternal happiness is found in God, not in things. In the Creator, not in the creation. And people reverse that and get confused. And they think that God wants them to be happy apart from Him. But God says, I want you to endure happiness In me, not apart from me. With me, not without me. God is in favor of our happiness. He wants to bless us. Listen to Psalm 1611. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who else can say that? What advertisement on TV can promise that? What new product can give you that? What person could boast that? In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Everything else runs out. Everything else is temporal. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else is sustainable. Too often, however, non-Christians imagine a life with God is boring and miserable. And too many Christians live and look like joy is a rare commodity and an unwelcome visitor. Never am I happier than when I am in close fellowship with God. Never am I better able to walk through the peaks and valleys of life than when I am trusting that my God works all things for good. Never. Can I see through a trial better than when I grip the hand of God? Never does my future look brighter and my past seem less debilitating than when I feed my mind and soul upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus my Lord. My true joy rides in perfect harmony with my present experience in communion with God. When my relationship with God is close and unbroken, And I am not clinging stubbornly to some sin. My joy rises and my strength swells. And He prays for our sanctification. He prays for our salvation. He prays for our joy. He prays for our sanctification. The Father's goal is to make us like Jesus. That is what sanctification is. It is the process whereby we are being made more and more like Jesus. Our sanctification has a starting point, and that's when we are set apart unto God. And so that's the beginning. That's when I am first set apart or sanctified or made holy or declared holy in the righteousness of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit then begins the process of sanctification, making me more and more like Jesus until the point of glorification when I'm as much like Jesus As a human being can possibly be. I'll never be Jesus. I'll never be divine. But I will be like Jesus in every possible way that a human being could be like Jesus. In that ultimate state of glorification. And this is what Jesus was praying for us. So why are we so easily settled with um, just a salvation experience? That is not what the father was praying for. He was, Jesus was not. Going to the cross and praying, it's like, Lord God, help them to enter the kingdom and then just let them be. It's like He went to the cross that we may begin the process of transformation. It's the beginning of the change, not the conclusion of the change. And so, these are marching orders of our Lord. Listen, it says, Jesus did not pray, Lord, just save them. Don't worry about changing them. We'll do that all later. No, He starts immediately upon conversion to sanctify us by the truth. What does the Bible say about making disciples? It says to baptize them and immediately start teaching them to put into practice the teaching of Jesus. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is the same guy who prays about the authority, who's declaring the authority, who was praying 40, 50 days earlier when he gives them this commission and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. In other words, bring them into identification with Christ and then start teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So these are the marching orders of Jesus. It is not merely the salvation But it's salvation moving into sanctification. This was in his prayer as he headed to be crucified. He said, your word is truth. That is the Bible. The Bible is our manual for life. Our commitment to the Bible is essential. And Jesus prayed for our relationship and commitment to the sacred scriptures. As he was about to lay his life upon the altar. Jesus essentially said, your life will be transformed, guided. You will grow, you will hear my voice, you will submit to, study, worship around the contents of this powerful, living, breathing, relevant, eternal Word of God. Jesus was about to be arrested and He told the Father, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth, and Jesus prayed for you to have a vital, living, ongoing, constant connection to the Bible, that it would be your compass for life, your constant companion, and He prayed that prayer even before the giving of the New Testament Scriptures, then He proceeded to give the Scriptures and wants us to understand the importance and blessing of the Scriptures. So he prayed that we would be sanctified. And he prays for our protection against the evil one. The devil is real. The devil is present. The devil is busy. The devil has myriads of demons. The devil hates God and hates you. And the devil wants to destroy you, kill you put putrid thoughts in your minds, block your view of Jesus, keep you from church or at least a solid church, keep you from the Bible, keep you angry, lusty, jealous, bitter. Verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you deliver them from the evil one. Jesus prayed that you would not be duped by the devil Satan is pure evil and he will come after you. And Jesus is praying for Christians. And Peter wrote to Christians when he said in 1 Peter 5, 8, he wrote, he was writing to Christians. This is important to recognize. This is not a statement declaring Satan's activity against unbelievers. This is a warning to Christians. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. That's what Jesus was praying as he headed into the cross. Ephesians 4:27, give no opportunity to the devil. That's what Jesus was praying. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is scheming to take you out. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's sobering to recall what Jesus said to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus was facing the devil and praying for us. He prayed for our faith to be strong when the evil one strategizes to kill and destroy us. And Jesus says to you, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But you must be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. So let me ask you, are you humbled? Are you impressed? Do you feel loved? Do you sense what's going on in this prayer before Jesus goes into the cross? He knew what time it was. He knew what He was about to face and endure. And He was there on His face before God, sweating great great drops of sweat for you. Can that get into your thick head? If it gotten in there, then it's life-changing. If you walk out of here, ho-hum, then it bounced off your head. But if you walk out going, I cannot believe that Jesus was loving me, praying for me, thinking of me, laboring for me, willing to drink the cup of the wrath of God for me, you can't, that cannot sink into your head and you be unmoved. It's just not getting through. Now, that's possible. It's possible that it's not getting through. And if it's not getting through, it's because one, you're distracted. And two, the devil is working on you. And it's very possible because the Bible tells us, and we've just been reading this in Second Corinthians, that the devil will come and try to bring a veil over your mind so that the light of the gospel cannot go through the veil but we remember, we said that by prayer, by prayer, the Word of God can be blocked. You understand that? There is a veil. The Bible says, Paul was saying, people still today are reading the Gospel and there's a veil over their eyes. So did you know, it is not enough to preach the Word. We must preach the Word, but it's not enough to just preach the Word. We must pray the Spirit. We must preach the Word and then the Word accompanied by the power of God's Spirit can bust a hole through the thickest wall in your head. And He can bring light into your darkness. And you may be in darkness right here. You may be listening to this and go, ho-hum, I've heard it before. If that is the case, if that's where you are, then I am telling you That Satan has blinded your heart from the truth of the love of God. He does not want you to know how much God loves you and what he did to attain your salvation. He wants you to yawn through the gospel. And the Holy Spirit wants you to wake up and discover the goodness and glory and love of God through Jesus Christ. Everything was happening as a result of the love of God in accordance with the plan of God for the glory of God for the good of sinners. On Sunday, Jesus was held as the king of the Jews as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the crowd shouted, Hosanna. On Tuesday, Jesus entered into Endless controversies with the Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, and scribes so that they put into motion a murder plot to kill the Son of God. On Thursday, Jesus had his final times of intimate friendship and fellowship and teaching with his beloved disciples, and then he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, arrested by temple guards, hauled off to be tried by a Jewish high, by the Jewish high priest, dragged before Pilate and mocked by Jewish and Roman crowds, shouted. Down by the mobs, masses to be crucified, beaten, beaten ruthlessly with a metal-tipped whip, ripping open his flesh, stripped, pierced with a crown of thorns upon his head, smashed in the face, forced to carry his own cross, nailed to the crossbars by metal spikes through his hands and feet, hoisted up for all to observe as he hanged before the taunting rabble, until he declared it is finished and died. And in the waning moments of his freedom, in full knowledge of about what he was about to go about to set into motion, as temple guards were armed and approaching, led by His own disciple betrayer, Jesus was surrendering to the will of the Father in total submission to the plan that had been established before the world was formed. Jesus was there pleading for the eternal glory of God and the unending salvation and joy of sinners." And therefore, I lift before you this day, Jesus of Nazareth. I hold up for you the praying Lamb of God. And I present to you the bleeding intercessor. And I offer to you, your Creator and your Savior, I introduce to you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are there any here who have not yet surrendered to this king? Have any of you mocked him, doubted him, laughed at him, pressed forward day after day in unbelief? Are there any here who year after year choose this world and temporal pleasures? Are you still trying to find something that will last forever in sex or drink or drug or fame or wealth? Is Satan sifting you as wheat and giving you the constant aftertaste of bitterness and dissatisfaction? Are you experiencing the endless chase of the next high, but never a settled calm and peace? Come to Jesus and drink from His waters. Can you now hear the Savior prayed for you? Do you not know that His prayer at Gethsemane continues now at the right hand of the Father? Jesus is praying for you right now. Unbeliever, the door is open. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Believer, can you believe it? Can you not ponder it? Meditate upon this great love. Will you not thank Him over and over and over again? Will you give Him the praise He deserves? Tell others what He has done. Commit yourself to His Word and pray to the Spirit for a deepening work of sanctification in your life. Confess and turn from that sin that is robbing you of the joy of the Lord. Join more fully and intentionally into the work of God. Resist the devil, ponder his strategies, and put on the whole armor of God. Quit arguing over every little thing and seek a true and deep unity among the brethren. Crown him king, raise the banner of Jesus high, and let us exalt his name together. I was pondering over the last couple of weeks, Lord, where shall I go for these Easter messages? And I thought about how many times I've come to Palm Sunday and I've talked about Palm Sunday. How many times I've read, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How many times I've settled upon the beginning of the week. And then I just, Just going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then my thoughts settled upon Jesus praying at Gethsemane. And then I thought about Jesus praying. At Gethsemane, and John records Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about Jesus praying at Gethsemane. But John takes us right into the prayer closet with Jesus. And he lets us listen to what the Father is communing with the Son. The Father and Son are praying, and the Holy Spirit are engaged in this triangular prayer, and communing with one another, and we are one of the two topics that he's discussing, and he's praying for his own glory... And for you to enter into the joy of salvation. It is mind-boggling. It's paradigm-shifting. And I just want to know what your response is to that. As does God. The Father is saying to you right now, and Jesus is saying to you right now, what do you think about my prayer? How does it feel that you are the object of my affection? When I was about to hang and die on that cross. Could ever you feel more loved? Could ever you be more determined. Not to walk away from the love of God in Christ. Would you ever be more enthusiastic. To be a follower of Jesus. Than understanding. The timing. And the content. Of Jesus high priestly prayer. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that if anyone here needs business with you, oh, unbeliever, I plead with you now, call upon the Lord and be saved. Tell God right here, right now, that, oh, Lord, I cannot walk away from this love. I cannot pull myself away from this prayer that you were praying for me in the hour prior to the greatest suffering that has ever been laid upon any person, O oh Lord, I cannot walk away one more time from your grace. So I plead with you, if you are not a believer, believe on the Lord Jesus today and enter into the joy of the Lord. And oh, my Christian friend, we pray today, O oh God, Help us who are believers to see here a summons, a call, a beckoning to rise higher in our devotion and love and to sanctify us, O God, by Your truth in every area of life that we who have taken up the name of Jesus and we've been baptized to be identified with Him, may Your teaching come in with power to our lives that we might live out. The pre-cross prayer of Jesus, which is the post-cross prayer of our Lord. Oh Lord, as you are seated at the right hand of the Father right now praying for us, we enter into this prayer and help us to be sanctified by your truth and to give you the praise that you so deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.